This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. Now, here are your hosts, John Booker and Jeremy Casper. Welcome to the Inside Out Story Podcast. I'm John Booker, and I'm interested in why we tell stories. And I'm Jeremy Casper, and I am interested in the how we tell stories. Jeremy, this week I watched one of what I consider to be the greatest movies of all time. I rewatched Raiders of the Lost Ark, or for purist, I guess, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I was reminded one of the reasons that I still love that movie and that it still holds up for me is it's such a simple story. It's a story about a guy who's going after a piece of buried treasure. Um, you know, as we talk about external goals often in story, it's so easy to get into this really complicated story that we don't have any idea by the time we've uh, gotten through the first half hour of it what a main character is going for. But in a story like Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's never any question. The whole film is a guy going after the Lost Ark. If you can work your external goal uh, into the title of the film, I feel like that's a that's a bonus points for you. But external goals, man, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think that you're definitely right, John. And and I think you hit on something too, very important there, as you talked about the simplicity of the story. And one of the things that uh, you and I tell our students all the time at the Los Angeles Film Studies Center, where we teach, is that the greatest stories are very, very simple stories. They're just simple stories told well. Um, take a, a, you know, another Steven Spielberg film like Jaws. You know, Jaws is this, this uh, very fascinating story with very complex characters who are dealing with all different kinds of things in life that are, are um, uh, struggles for them, things that, uh, dilemmas that they have to deal with, family relationships, work relationships. But at the end of the day, that story is a story about a man trying to catch a fish. That's all it is. And that's the external goal in that film. We gotta get this fish out of the water. It's the thing that drives the narrative. And, uh, and you and I know from experience with all the scripts that we've read that, that stories without external goals, they're not stories. They're so, just interesting situations and scenarios. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it sounds so simple, but why, why don't a lot of stories seem to get that you need an external goal, especially storytellers that are just starting out? What, what types of stories do you see, you know, uh, where people just forget the external goal? Well, I think that we see it a lot of times in dramas, and I do think that we, in our experience, not only our experiences with our students, but even my own experience as a writer, that so oftentimes I come to the table with something I want to say. Um, I come to the table with a theme. I know I want to tell a story about forgiveness or justice or revenge. And, uh, and I begin writing scenes and constructing characters that are all in this environment, that are all trying to explore this theme. And then I get about halfway through my second act and I'm wondering why my story's falling apart. <laughs> why isn't my story going anywhere? And it's because I didn't implement, and I see oftentimes with my students, they don't implement one of the, the fundamental, very basic 101 elements of storytelling. And that is my character's not doing anything. My character is not pursuing anything in this story whatsoever. They're just a character that's sort of bumping along the road in situations and they're kind of that, uh, that uh, Forrest Gump feather blowing in the wind kind of thing. <laughs> we don't really know where it's going. Having your character have something very specific that they are trying to accomplish in a story is, 
is crucial if you want to structure your story, have a story with a plot, have a, a narrative that drives forward. So uh, you bring up a, a good question. If, you know, for myself, a, a lot of times I start with a theme. I, I start really wanting to tell a story um, that, that's about this particular theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you then go uh, from from theme to external goal? I mean, is there yeah. is there a good process to work, you know, through for that? What, what do you yeah. do? Well, I, I think that there is. I think that, you know, oftentimes the, the theme of our film is sort of the central problem of the story. And the great thing about your central problem is your central problem can can be broad. It can be kind of vague, you know? I mean, in the Star Wars movies, the central problem is the Empire. It's not super, super specific. It's just this big general evil that needs to be defeated. But the solution to the problem, uh, the thing that the character needs to do in order to overcome the problem has to be extremely specific. So I think that when you start with your theme, or rather the central problem of your story, I think the first thing that you have to do is uh, you have to ask yourself, what are some cinematic, some measurable, some photographable ways that I can show my character um, accomplishing or, or learning this particular theme? Um, you and I talk all the time with our students about cinematic goals. Um, those those goals that we can actually see unfold, uh, you know, on the screen. So if I'm telling a story about forgiveness, that's my theme. That's sort of my central story problem. The first question that I would ask is, well, how then can I show tangibly in the real world, in the external world, how can I show my character um, displaying for the audience that they have in fact learned how to forgive, or or maybe have not learned how to forgive, depending on how I'm going to end my film. Start with a theme, but then ask yourself, what are tangible ways in the real world I can show a person doing this? Okay, so I know many, many times um, you and I have heard pitches and people will say, this is a story about a guy trying to find love. Mm-hmm. And we would say it's probably one of the most universal themes, you know, um, having a protagonist who's trying to find love. Mm-hmm. What's the problem with that, Jeremy? Why why is that not a good external goal? Someone right. would say, "Yeah, well, I can I can show, you know, when they uh when the couple kiss and when they go on a date and why well, why can't my external goal be to find love?" Yeah. Well, and, and and you're right. And I think the reason why it's confusing for a lot of writers is there's a lot of stories out there about people who are trying to find true love. The problem with finding true love being your your central goal of the story is it's incredibly internal. I can't really show someone finding true love. Um, it's, you know, we talk all the time, John, about words like realize. Those are really big red flag words when people pitch stories to us. When a student or a writer comes into our office and says, and then in the end of the story, the character realizes something. And immediately we, we have to stop them right there and say, well, you know, I can sit on a couch and realize something that's not very cinematic. That's not interesting. Um, how am I going to know with the visuals that, that that thing has occurred? So an example like finding true love, it's too internal. It's too broad. And if that's where I start, I am going to be overwhelmed as a writer. If I start off saying, I'm going to tell a story about a guy trying to f- find true love, I'm going to sit down and say, man, there are... 10,000 stories that I could tell about a man trying to find true love. I'm overwhelmed. Now I have writer's block. I I can't do this anymore and I walk away. 
what I have to do is I have to take that internal goal. And by the way, finding true love, that's a great internal goal for a main character to have in a story, but it's not enough to drive your narrative. You got to give them some tangible in the real world example uh, or situation that they can prove to the audience, show to the audience cinematically that they have in fact um, uh, found true love. We, the metaphoric finish line. You know, how will I know that photo finish, I will know at the end they did in fact find true love. Um, the example that, you know, we use in class all the time is, you know, we can tell a story about a guy finding true love, or we can tell a story about a man who decides to uh, propose to the girl of his dreams before his 30th birthday, which is only two weeks away. Right. So now we got a really specific goal and we got a timeline. Um, just by that statement alone, I may not even know what my story is. But I already know what my climactic image of my film is going to be. It's going to be a man down on one knee proposing to a girl um, underneath a, a big giant clock right before it strikes midnight. That's the final image of my film. I don't even know my story yet, but now I have sort of my, my, um, my bullseye. So now every scene that I write, I can ask myself, am I moving my character closer to or further away from that climactic image? Yeah, I... I um... I think we've both seen our fair share of, of pitches and even films come, you know, through uh, that the external goal um, sometimes is not singular. Sometimes it seems like a character uh, has the goal of getting the girl and defeating his enemy at work. And so often um, that doesn't seem to work. Why do you think that is? Why do you think uh, it doesn't work to have, you know, because in real life, certainly we have stories, you know, about a guy who's trying to get the girl and defeat his big foe at work. And many people would argue, oh, that's real life. That's real life. Why does that not work in a storytelling context? Well, I think that, you know, a story in its very basic form is just, you know, some character who has to overcome conflict to achieve an extremely specific, measurable, cinematic goal. If I introduce two goals in my film, suddenly I, as the writer, now have two stories that I have to tell, and my story gets bogged down, and uh, I don't know which way to go. In this scene, where should I be focusing my energies? Where should I be focusing my efforts? Uh, so in those kinds of situations, if you want to have a love story, you want to have some kind of a um, a B story going on, that's fine, but it can't, it, it has to accentuate the singular main goal of the story. Um, so if you've got a love interest, then that love interest has to be an active part of the A story. They have to be the person, they have to be um, um, central in the character achieving that one singular goal. Um, so yeah, we have students all the time that try to do that. And, and the mistakes that we see that come about from that is they don't know how to end their stories. And oftentimes, they also don't even end up knowing what genre they're working in either. Am I telling a horror story or a love story? You can combine genres, but not in that way. You know, I think you bring up a really interesting point, and that is a lot of the time we see stories where in the third act, a character actually accomplishes an external goal that was never set up in the first place, in the first act. Mm -hmm. And usually there was some sort of dramatic question or some sort of external goal that was set up in that first act, you know, that we think this is what the story's about. This is what the, the character's trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think that's another, you know, hole that writers fall into is answering a question that our story never asks. Um, and so often that's a mistake I see people making. At the end, you know, you get to your third act and you recognize, man, I need an external goal in this story. And so you kind of set one up there. And I think a lot of people don't recognize how important it is to set up that external goal actually very early on in the story. In a short film, we, we often say it's it's got to be set up in the first two pages minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in a feature, that you don't have a lot of time before you need to identify what that external goal is. Absolutely. And I think you hit on a really important point too, John. I've noticed that more and more, so many of the notes that I give scripts is just that, that the writer just didn't set things up properly in the beginning. Great storytelling is all about setup, payoff, setup, payoff, setup, payoff. And I will get to the end of many scripts and say, your elements are here. You know, you've got a great ending and I see what thematically you're trying to do. And you do have a character that's pursuing something, but you didn't establish that clearly in the beginning of your story. And so I went into your story and it took me about half of your story, if not more, to even figure out why I'm watching this film. You got to set it up properly at the beginning. I always say that your beginning and the ends of your film should sort of be like verb tenses in a sentence. They need to agree with each other. Um, a good ending does not work unless you've set it up properly in your first act. Mm. You know, I um, I love to go back and think of examples where this has been done well in features and where it's maybe not been done so well. Um, I mentioned Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, at the very... Uh, beginning uh, of the podcast, but uh, e- even more recently, you know, last year, uh, the the talk of the town certainly was Argo, and mm-hmm. Argo, I think, does a great job of quickly setting up what the external goal of the film is, and they they never deviate. Every scene, you know, is about uh, this guy who's trying to get these people out of Iran. Um, even though they managed to work in a great B story and there's kind of this internal journey that happens with our protagonist. And um, we, you know, we have these side characters who are funny and they help the process. But at the end of the day, that film stays very, very clearly on mission. The external goal is very clear. Um, what about you? Can you can you think of anything, uh, any films you've seen? Um, that, you know, the external goal is just so clear. It's so great. Uh, it, it draws the audience in from the beginning. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, just real quick before I, I give a couple examples, uh, one thing about Argo is, uh, and I know people don't really want to believe this or admit this, but when I watched Argo, I thought it was a phenomenal film, by the way. I thought it was just incredible. But that film follows the rules of story structure to the T. I mean, it's just it just knocks it out of the park. So it's just so perfectly structured. Um, but the structure is implemented so well, we don't fe- we don't sense it. We just know it's there. You know, we, we, we sense that the story is good, but we're not aware of the technique. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the external goal in that film is so strong. Uh, this one's an obvious one, but I use this oftentimes in teaching just because it's so obvious. And of course, that's Lord of the Rings. Mm. You know, it's you know, the we've got what, like. 12, 13, 14 hours worth of of story time in the film version of Lord of the Rings. And ultimately, the thing that drives that entire narrative is this little hobbit named Frodo that has to get a ring from point A to point B. That's the whole story. 
without that story, we have nothing. We are just, then it's just a collection of random events. How are they related to each other? But the thing that progresses that narrative forward is we've got to destroy this ring. We've got to finish it off. Um, so I, you know, that's the one that I always, I cite because number one, it's so clear. And also kind of like your Raiders of the Lost Ark example, there's an actual physical, tangible, photographable object uh, that's uh, somehow attached to that external goal, which just is, is just gold for, for the screenwriter. Anytime you can connect the external goal to something physical that we can see, um, you're just going to help yourself as a writer. You know, I, I'm even just as we're talking about this, I'm kind of picking up on a pattern of uh, whether it's Argo or Lord of the Rings or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, none of those protagonists could accomplish uh, their goal staying home. Mm-hmm. Every one yeah. of those films, it requires that the protagonist get out of their house, get off their couch, and in most cases, actually leave town, get mm-hmm. out of the city. Um, and I think that there's something to be noticed there that um, a good external goal oftentimes is going to involve a journey. That journey is going to get the character out of the familiar world. And it's so important, I think, in trying to set up an external goal that that goal cannot be accomplished easily. It cannot be accomplished at home. What do you think? uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And this is something, too, that one of the first questions that I ask so many of the writers who pitch their stories to me is I say, you know, I ask them, what happens if your main character does not achieve their external goal? What if at the end of the film they fail? If the answer to that question is, well, life just kind of goes back to the way that it was, then your external goal was not very strong. Uh, You want to have high stakes. So I think the reason why that journey happens is because oftentimes the main character doesn't really have a choice. They go through a section of the film where they they try to decide whether or not they're going to go on this journey. Um, But, you know, ultimately it needs to be a goal that's so strong that sitting at home on their couch, it's not an option. They really don't have an option. Um, I think the first Star Wars film, um, Episode Four, uh, A New Hope, I think is a great example of the a, real Star the Wars real Star Wars. Wars yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's a it's it's a really great example of how the external goal can evolve over the course of of a feature film. In short films, you don't really have a chance to do that. You kind of need one strong central goal at the very beginning. But the thing that I really like about the external goal in um, in the Star Wars film is it's that moment when Obi-Wan Kenobi asks Luke Skywalker, Skywalker, hey, will you come with me to Alderaan? And if you remember, Luke Skywalker's first response to that situation was, hell no, (laughs) I'm not going, I've got chores to do, my uncle will kill me, I'm staying here. And at that moment, the goal was not important enough for him to get off his couch and go. But just two scenes later, what happens? He, He goes home and he sees that his aunt and uncle have been killed. Now, this war has become real, it's become personal, and now there's no choice. And so I think in a feature film, that's something you can do. When the, when the goal's first introduced to the character, time may not be of the essence, it may not be that important, but at some point in your narrative, very quickly, you have to make that external goal deeply relevant to the main character. You know, I, I think it's probably worth mentioning at this point that a good story can actually be about a character who does not. Mm. obtain or accomplish their external goal yeah um i'm thinking about rocky Mm -hmm. uh rocky you know his external goal is uh to to beat you know um apollo creed 
He does not accomplish that. Spoiler alert. He does not accomplish <laughs> that in uh, the first Rocky film. I think, however, in order to fully understand what happens at the end of that uh, film, we have to understand a little bit about how external goals work with dramatic irony. Yeah. I, I don't know how many people are familiar with this. This is a concept that comes kind of out of English literature, but it, it's very applicable to uh, storytelling in the film world. You basically have four types of endings um, in a film when it comes to the external goal. A character can either get what they want, but not what they need. A character can get what they need, but not what they want. A character can get what they want and what they need. Or a character can get neither what they wanted or what they need. Let's take those apart for a minute. So yeah. start start with the first one. Yeah, you... yeah. So uh, I think the first one you mentioned was the positive irony. Yeah. It's the the ending that we call the the positive irony ending, and a positive and, and really I think the an easy way to look at it is uh, a character in a story is actually going on two journeys, and today we're primarily talking about the outside journey, the outside, the external story, the plot of your film. That's one journey that your main character is going on, but they're also going on an internal journey. And that's something we'll spend a whole other podcast just talking about internal journey. Developing that side of your character is just as, as important and deeply complex as, uh, as uh, um, uh, developing your plot. So you have these two stories, which basically means you've got to wrap both of these stories up at the end of your film. And a, a positive irony ending would be a, an ending where externally your main character accomplishes their main goal but internally, uh, they fail. No, other way around. <laughs> we'll edit that. <laughs> it can get confusing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a positive, so a positive irony story is a story where a character fails at achieving their external goal. This thing that they've been plotting through the whole time, um, uh, you know, a, you know, um, a Rocky trying to to win, you know, the big fight in the end, he fails at the end. But at the end of the film, he actually accomplishes. He gets the thing that he needs. Um, that's those endings tend to, to feel very honest to honest go, to to uh, audience members because they're a little more reflective of, of real life. Yeah. Uh, with the positive irony endings, these are the endings where, you know, how many times in life, John, have have we sought out to do something and we failed? But we became a much better person because we went through the process. I hope that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> I don't want to spend the rest of the podcast outlining that because I feel like that's a whole separate podcast. Too. Yeah, but we look back so many times in life and say, that was a painful situation, but I'm so glad that I went through it. And that's something that we all can deeply resonate with. So, so the positive irony endings, again, fail at the external, succeed at the internal. Mm. Um, you know, I think an interesting thing about Rocky, too, is I'm kind of surprised when I talk about Rocky, how many people forget that he lost in the end. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, true. it's you know, people who haven't seen the film in years, uh, they forget that part. Why? Because the ending, those kinds of endings, they do resonate with us very strongly. The ending of Rocky still feels incredibly victorious. Yeah. Uh, and for all kinds of reasons, which we can talk about later. But again, these endings, we like them because this is real life. So, you know, that's 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 a good example of a positive irony ending. All right. So what's negative irony? Negative irony is when a character um, actually accomplishes their external goal. They get the, the thing that they've been pursuing through the whole film, but their internal journey, they fail. And, um, and these kinds of films, anytime you get into your negative endings, either negative endings or negative irony endings, 
negative endings are hard. Hmm. They're very hard to do uh, because they're difficult to pull off honestly. Yeah. Did, I, did you see uh, uh, Jason Reitman's Up in the Air? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like Clooney in that movie maybe is an example of this. He does accomplish his external goal, mm-hmm. but he doesn't get what he needs. Absolutely. Yeah. And and there's that powerful moment at the end of the film when he gets the gold card that he's been pursuing through the yeah. whole film. And so much of what he was trying to accomplish, he got. Yeah. But the thing that he needed was family. Yeah. He needed um, he needed um, to settle down and relationship. That's what he needed. And in the end, he failed. Um, that, in my opinion, is a good example of a film that did it well. Yeah. Um, but there are oftentimes films we don't want to watch over and over and over again. <laughs> right. You know, um, I think my one of my favorite films of all time actually is a film that ends with a, uh, a negative irony ending, and that's Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Um, you know, in my opinion, it's it's one of the 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 last films in the last you know thirty years to win the Academy Award and really deserved it. I thought it was just a phenomenal film. It's It stood the test of time. But in that film, uh, Clarice Starling, uh, Jodie Foster's character, uh, what does she want to achieve in the external world? She wants to capture the bad guy, you yeah. know, Buffalo Bill. Yeah. She also wants to graduate at the top of her class. She wants to prove herself in a man's world. Yeah. And at the end of the film, she does all of that. Yeah. She is the hero at the end of the film. And yet, that, that second to last scene, when Hannibal calls her right after her graduation, and what does he say? Except are the lambs still screaming, Clarice? <laughs> and she knows they are. Yeah. <laughs> having dinner with an old friend. Exactly. <laughs> so a good example of a character who achieved their external goal, but inside, the lambs are still screaming. Mm. Now, she didn't grow. She didn't grow internally in that film. Mm. Yeah, that, uh, that I think can be super, super powerful. Um, but I think you're right. I think it is... A harder ending to pull off. I don't think you know, especially writers who uh, don't have a lot of storytelling under their belt. I think if you're only two or three feature scripts into your writing career, probably better to avoid that sort of uh, ending because it is hard to pull it off. It is. And how many times, John, have we had students who? pull a fast one on us in their pitch. (laughs) And what they do is they set up a story and they've been telling us through the whole story, this is a story that's either going to end positively or with positive irony. (laughs) And just for the sake of trying to avoid being, you know, cliche, they just throw a negative ending real quick in the end. And it doesn't work. That's, that's, That's cheating your audience. That's not good. If you want to tell the negative ending story or the negative irony ending story, You've got to build to it. Right. The reason the reason that Silence of the Lambs works so well is because there were so many chances that Clar- Clarice had through that film to address her internal problem, and she never did. So when it didn't happen at the end, we believed it. We bought it. We watched her go through that journey, and we watched her fail. We watched her get to the point where she had to suffer the consequences of her decisions. And that's so oftentimes, you know, writers who try to do those kinds of endings, they don't set it up properly. Yeah, yeah. It, well, let's let's kind of unpack that for a second yeah. before we move on. Um, how do you go about setting up that sort of ending properly? And let, let's take a look at Silence of the Lambs is, is our example since you brought that up. Um, in some ways, at the end, when Hannibal Lecter, you know, asks, are the lambs still screaming? This is an echo. And maybe mm-hmm. you can explain what an echo is for those who, who don't um, know what that is in, in story terms. 
But this is an echo that's been set up earlier in the film. And the reason it has such resonance is, you know, that this has been a key part of the inner journey of that character. So maybe set up an echo and then talk a little bit about why, um, you know, that that has been set up well in Silence of the Lambs, why it pays off at the end. Well, echoes, we see them all the time in, all the time in films. Um, and, and we see them often and don't even realize it. And basically what an echo is is it's um, oftentimes it's a line of dialogue. It can be an action, but oftentimes it's it's just a line of dialogue that's repeated several times throughout a film. And each time this line is repeated, it takes on new and deeper meaning. Uh, in fact, oftentimes the first time it's mentioned, it has hardly any meaning at all. By the, the third time, they usually happen in threes. By the third time we hear that line of dialogue uttered, usually towards the end of the film, it has profound meaning. So this whole idea of the screaming lambs, I mean, it's the title of the film, Silence of the Lambs, uh, you know, the whole reason that resonates at the end when Hannibal Lecter says that is because he has used that line several times in the film. Uh, when Clarice tells the whole story about her childhood, um, you know, growing up with the rancher and the screaming lambs and she just wanted to silence the lambs, um, it, it was just very, very properly set up. It's, it's really important, you know, in your storytelling that you are, are checking in not only with your main character to see how they're developing internally, but you're also doing that for the sake of your audience, too. Here's where our character is on this, this particular journey. Uh, and we frame that, we contextualize it, we bed it in this whole external journey that they're going on, you know? I mean, everything that Clarice is doing in that film externally She's doing, even if she's not conscientiously aware of it, she's doing it hoping that these actions will silence the lambs. If I just catch the bad guy, it will silence the lambs. If I just prove myself in a man's world, I'll, I'll silence all this, this just noise in my brain. And the truth is, at the end of the day, she's not willing to do what it actually takes to become healthy on the inside. And it all works because the external journey, our echoes, all of this is really about her internal journey, which she actually fails at accomplishing. Hmm. Okay, well, let's move on sure. to a negative ending. Yeah, This is where <laughs> the protagonist gets neither what they want or what they need. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what can you say? I mean, do we see that often in film? Very rarely, yeah. I, and maybe you can think of some examples, John. Um, it's kind of more common in uh, Greek tragedies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, honestly, um, uh, maybe in the works of Tarantino, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Reservoir Dogs, or mm -hmm. I know the film he's shooting uh, right now, The Hateful Eight. Um, well, I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say, <laughs> um, if you haven't read the script, uh, that he... He's a filmmaker that is familiar. <laughs> he likes the, the negative uh, endings. The negative, uh, ending. And I love Tarantino, but yeah. uh, he, he's somebody who utilizes uh, negative endings. Um, but, uh, you know, a character not getting what they want mm -hmm. or what they need, the reason I think it's so difficult to pull off is that but you, you got to give your audience something to either feel like they can root for or at least appreciate that the character learned. Yeah. And with, with an ending like that... Um, it's hard because you, you don't have uh, necessarily a lesson that the mm -hmm. character has learned. They yeah. didn't necessarily grow uh, internally. And at the same time, they, uh, they failed to accomplish what they had set out uh, to accomplish. I, I will say, while it's less common in feature films, 
I'm noticing in television they're taking advantage of this quite a bit more mm-hmm. because you can have a single episode of television uh, where that can happen often mm-hmm. as long as you know there's a character arc over the course of a season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think back to one of the shows that you and I both had a deep appreciation for, and that's Breaking Bad. Yeah. Um, I think oftentimes uh, we saw you know the character of Walter White um, not get what he had set out to accomplish externally and also very much failed to get what he needed. Yeah. Um, you know, fortunately, I, I think at the end of the series, we see, um, you know, uh, his entire arc. But at various points through the the seasons in Breaking Bad, and, the, and again, I think that's one reason writers love to write for television right now, is there's just a lot more opportunity to explore storytelling that can be more difficult in a future film environment. Absolutely. And I, I think that not only in television, and I'm hesitant to say this, John, because I, if any students are listening to this, I don't <laughs> want them to uh, take this and run with it but I do think that negative endings can also work very well in short films if you implement it correctly and uh, you know in our book we do a whole chapter on fables and fables are just morality tales they're just stories about characters that that the character fails at the end they they, it's they they uh, make the wrong decision at the end of the film but oftentimes with those types of stories um, you want your audience to walk away thinking or picking up on and the moral of the story is, yeah. don't ever do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think it's tough. I think it's a tough sell in a feature film to say, "Hey, come along with this character for two hours, yeah. invest in their lives just to watch them yeah. fail." If I do that in five minutes, it's a little bit. I, I can swallow that a little bit easier. Yeah. Well, you know, the the structure of a short film fable. Mm-hmm often mirrors that of a horror film. Yes, yeah. So maybe, um, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but maybe are we seeing uh, those types of, of stories in um, uh, horror films? Mm-hmm. Can, can, I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but um, I'm wondering, do we have characters getting... Uh, neither what they want nor they need in a horror film. But it's a good opportunity to even talk about how the external goal works in a horror film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I think that's, I think there are some examples out there. And you're right. I, I, I think that horror films can end in, in several different ways. And we won't go into all of that right now. But one of the ways that I think a, a horror film can end honestly is the main character failing to achieve the goal. Or in essence, the character oftentimes dying at the end of the film. That's a tough sell. But horror films are structured very much to be about um, the, uh, the 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 penance or the the payment of sins. Um, and oftentimes, you know, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna play a horror film out to its you know true honest ending, a lot of times thematically, I would argue that horror films should end that way. Mm. They should end very tragically. Um, but you know, taking it back to external goal, you know, with a horror film, so oftentimes horror films are just very much about not getting yourself killed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. And, and hopefully you've got something thematic, you know, that's happening underneath that, that the reason that uh, their life is in danger is oftentimes in a, in a horror film because of some sin that's been committed, metaphoric sin that's been committed. Um, so then what the goal becomes is I just don't want to, I just don't want to get killed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I, I think, um, I think horror is such an interesting genre because it often seems to play by slightly different rules than uh, the rest of uh, the other genres. 
which again I, th- I think makes it a very fun genre to work in. Um, you know, for the most part, everything we're saying about external goals tends to work regardless of genre. It tends to work across the board. Um, again, horror horror is one of those that may have some rare. Uh, exceptions, but still, I think follows the grand arc of of what we're discussing. Oh, absolutely, and I do think that um, you know one thing our students oftentimes will will complain about, or writers that I talk to, is in so many of our lectures, you know, I'll, I'll use examples like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, and students will say, "Well, I don't want to tell a big fantasy film; I want to tell this small drama." And what they don't realize is, even in the smallest of genres, the smallest of dramas. The, the little quirky independent film that you see at Sundance. Little Miss Sunshine. There you go. Oftentimes, even in those films, your main character has some external goal that they're trying to accomplish. Dramas tend to be driven a little bit more by internal goals, but still usually there's something external that they have to do. It's the thing that just moves the narrative forward. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the last type of ending, and that is... Uh, in some ways can be equally difficult, mm-hmm. and that is a positive ending where the character gets both what they want as well as what they needed. Yeah. Um, why is why can that be difficult? Why is that tough? I think that, that your positive endings, um, external goal accomplished, internal need met, everything lives, you know, everybody lives happily ever after, is they very oftentimes don't feel honest. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, we see this all the time in Disney movies. Yeah. Um, that was the example I was going to give is yeah. perhaps Disney films. Yeah. And it's not that these are bad films. I don't want to give positive endings a bad rap, but oftentimes we are a very cynical generation. You know, our society is very, uh, we, we, we sniff things and smell things out that aren't authentic. And a lot of times those, what we now call the Hollywood ending of a film, which is your positive ending, it just rings false. Uh, it doesn't seem true. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why it can be difficult. And, and I will say, too, that I, another thing that I observe oftentimes in positive ending films is in order to make a positive ending film work, you have to have oftentimes an extremely strong antagonist. Mm. There has to be a pretty big evil that we're fighting against. Mm. Uh, look at you know Disney films like... Um, Sleeping Beauty, yeah. um, Aladdin, um, The Little Mermaid. Yeah. If you think about it, in those films, not only are our villains big evils, in the third act of the film, all of those characters physically grow to like skyscraper height. Mm. <laughs> you know, they become such a huge evil to battle against. And I think because positive endings can can feel a little dishonest, we got to give the main character something pretty huge to fight against. Yeah. And and so many times, John, the films that we read, the scripts we read, have positive endings, but there just wasn't enough conflict in it to 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 make it believable. Yeah. W- would you say in a positive ending that um, if that's true of the antagonist, that the protagonist also uh, probably can't have really deep dark ghosts to deal with um whatever their internal journey or internal battle is probably has to be something pretty simple that can be accomplished pretty simple and i think also something that the audience just immediately resonates with you know i mean you know in disney's version of the little mermaid you've got ariel who you know she just wants to be free and be her own person (laughs) And, you know, who's going to argue with that? (laughs) Not me, my friend. Not me. So, you know, it's a real easy internal struggle to buy into. 
Um, and, and, and which, you know, oftentimes in fairy tales, which we'll talk about fairy tales at another time as well, internal journeys are light, sometimes even non-existent. Yeah. So it's it's a very, you know, when you're dealing with positive endings, you're going to be, be dealing very heavily in the external world. Yeah. Now, that would make me say that perhaps one of the best places to utilize an ending like that is in a short film, because in a short film... Uh, you may just not have the time and the bandwidth in the film in order to um, tell much of an internal story, an mm -hmm. internal journey. Mm -hmm. So do you think that makes it easier to accomplish that sort of ending in a short film? I would say in terms of plotting out a story, driving a narrative, absolutely yes. I, I think that um, the, the, the danger in, in doing those kinds of short films is the same danger you have in feature films. And it's just the film falling flat and just feeling boring. Yeah. And so again, I think, and the reason why that those films can feel flat, the same with the pure negative ending too, is you don't have irony in the film. Yeah. And so often what makes dramatics something that we resonate with is irony. We could do a whole podcast just talking about irony and what that means. I think it's a, a, a much talked about very uh, often unutilized aspect of storytelling yeah we've had films in the past john where where you know our students have executed you know story structure to the letter they followed all the rules and we're sitting back going why is this film boring yeah yeah and it's it's just because there was no irony in it and oftentimes they were positive ending stories with not a super strong villain in the story and it's just it's just kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, I think, um, maybe can help us transition into, I think, what is another necessary piece in the external goal is if my external goal is just to um, to eat a great meal or to make <laughs> right. a, a wonderful sandwich, um, you know, that, that's pretty easy to accomplished that that does not make a great film mm. the the big issue i think you know in any external goal is is it set up properly that we can have really good conflict absolutely absolutely and without that conflict john all you have is a situation yeah it's just a, and that's something we tell our, our students that you know your story starts when the external goal is presented to the main character but what really makes your story is the character's journey of trying to accomplish that and all the problems they have to overcome along the way. If I wake up in the morning and I go to my refrigerator and open it up and there's no food inside, I have a problem. <laughs> What's the solution? I get in my car, I drive to the grocery store, I get more food, come back and restock the fridge. That's not a story that I'm going to rush to work and tell everybody. <laughs> Why? Because there was no conflict in it. Yeah. I didn't have to overcome anything to accomplish that goal. Yeah. So No, I think that's... that's um... Uh, something that we take for granted, but how many times have we workshopped a story or heard a pitch that there really was not much conflict keeping the protagonist from accomplishing um, the the external goal? Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say about that that we run into so often is how many times have we heard a story or a pitch that the conflict is not personified in any way? Mm -hmm. I feel like the... The biggest stories people want to tell these days, and, and so many of these stories are great, but um, they're stories of man versus himself. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to conflict, um, certainly, you know, in a feature film, you have plenty of time to kind of unpack the complexities of a character who's battling themselves. 
in a short film, rarely do you have that sort of time. Um, but especially for new writers, and I would say, you know, a new writer is anyone from a student up to, you know, if you're again still into your second or third uh, screenplay mm-hmm. uh, feature length, um, you're probably still getting your head around uh, what it means to tell um, a moving and meaningful story in 120 pages. So I think until you have really mastered the idea of an external conflict uh, through through that's personified, um, I think it's harder to move on. Some people have a natural gifting for that, but for most of the rest of us, learn to master external conflict in accomplishing the external goal through a person. Absolutely, and um, I don't think you can really talk about external goal without talking about the villain, yeah. the bad guy, the opponent. Yeah. Um, it's, it's in, in, and again, we, we can talk an entire podcast just on how, the importance of the antagonist. And we will, my friend. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things that, that you have to keep in mind with, with a true antagonist, you know, in a story is ultimately they want the same thing that the main character wants. This is, this is why sports stories work so well. You've got two teams that are vying for the same trophy. Um, you you want to set up a story so that your good guy and your bad guy, your protagonist and your antagonist, only one of them can win. <laughs> they can't both win. Mm-hmm. So if I have two characters that, you know, let's say John and I both want to be successful, uh, you know, owners of studios, you know, in Hollywood. And we do. <laughs> I'm kidding. Neither one of us have that goal. Go <laughs> but, you know, technically, despite all of the hardship and, and pain that it would take to get there, realistically, you and I both could be presidents of studios, you know, and we could both accomplish our goal. Now, if we both wanted to be president of the same studio, then only one of us can win. Um, so I, I think that... You that, always win. <laughs> but that's, you know, and that's where your conflict comes from. You've got, a, you've got a, a, a character that is just relentlessly and proactively trying to keep your main character from, from accomplishing that, uh, that external goal. And I think so many of our students, you know, we read scripts and, and, and there's no conflict in the story. And what I think writers oftentimes don't realize is part of your job is just to be relentlessly brutal to your main character you know force them into situations that are awful (laughs) that really challenge them in accomplishing this goal and one of the best ways to do that is through an antagonist all right i'm gonna play devil's advocate okay this is a question we get a lot and so i want to i want to push it back to you and see what you say all right dear jeremy gasper my favorite filmmaker is terrence malick (laughs) <laughs> I've watched all of Terrence Malick's films and I don't seem to see any uh, external goal in the films of Terrence Malick. Are you trying to tell me he is not a brilliant filmmaker and storyteller? Sincerely confused <laughs> student. Um, I would say yes, that is exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Blasphemy. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I Terrence Malick is one of my favorite filmmakers. Uh, he is a visual poet um but then there are many people who would argue otherwise um he's a very po- i'm one of them i'm not a fan i'm i'm coming out on this podcast i'm not a terrence malick fan i know that makes me a bad film person and a bad human being but i'm not a fan but i but i think it's a it's a it's a valid thing to consider you know when you are telling the kinds of films that uh, uh terrence malick and um you know filmmakers like uh 
Lars von Trier and Kieslowski, you know, these filmmakers, these are incredibly poetic films, but they're polarizing, very polarizing. Um, and even Spike Jones, who I am a film absolutely. A fan of. Yeah, yeah. So they're very they're they're hard films to make. And what I would say is, even though many of those films, um, and, and many of them do, they defy structure. They're kind of art house films. Uh, they really are the best way to put it, is sort of cinematic poetry. Um, oftentimes, what you will find though in these films is at least some theme, some common theme that's that's threading the entire thing together. And I think what this all goes back to is, I don't care what kind of story you're telling something has to be pushing the narrative forward. And if you're going to do a really big art house film and, you know, your mom's going to be the only person who ever sees it, <laughs> that's fine, but you still need something that's pushing the story forward. Now, I would argue in even a film like Tree of Life, you know, there still are these vignettes that have objectives. Um, you have narrative scenes in that film that have goals. I, I wouldn't know. I left halfway through it, but, <laughs> but please enlighten us about Tree of Life. But there are these, you know, these incredibly poetic uh, moments, these visual moments. Um, but then we we break and we have these these um, uh, scenes with uh, you know Brad Pitt, uh, his character, and uh, Sean Penn, and and you know when when um, Brad Pitt's a child, and all these different scenes that are very powerful, moving. Um, and, and this is really true. I don't care what genre you're having, and, and any actor will tell you this too. When they approach a scene, they need to know what the objective of that scene is. What is the external goal? Even external goal. What is the external goal of the scene? Well, you're just trying to get to the other side of the room to turn the light off. You know, Actors need that kind of information when they're acting in scenes. And so even in some of these art house films, I would say that there's still these moments of external things that are moving things forward. Yeah. Now, I, I, I kid about Terrence Malick, but I, I can certainly recognize his brilliance as a filmmaker. And I do think it's easy to write off those type filmmakers and those type stories and say, oh, there's no structure. There's no structural elements. Um, I, I think there is structure there. Mm -hmm. um, it, it may be, again, um, similar to, you know, we may be trying to compare the uh, in some ways, the films we're talking about, we're comparing the structure of a pop song to jazz. Right, right. And, you know, Terrence Malick being more the jazz. It's not that there's not structure there, but it is definitely a much more complex structure than we would find in the pop songs that are released every week in the theater. And while our interest in story is certainly uh, primarily, you know, in the art form of that, I don't think we can have this conversation, or at least it's not a meaningful conversation, if we're not willing to acknowledge what the marketplace wants Absolutely. and what they demand. So uh, that's one reason on this podcast we're going to center around stories that sell, stories mm -hmm. that we find at the box office, not because we say those stories are necessarily better, but you have to acknowledge there is an appetite in the public for those sorts of stories. And as storytellers, if we just sit around making stories for ourselves, that's great. But what's the point? I, I feel like most of us who are involved in storytelling want to reach a certain audience. And the way to do that, I feel, is through implementing the elements of structure. Yeah, and I think that once we'll, we'll probably do many podcasts, you know, just purely on narrative structure. And uh, and that's one thing that we'll get into. We'll talk about how the way that stories unfold, you know, this isn't just some sort of uh, formula 
that's just been discovered by someone or, or that someone made up and we've just adopted and we like it. There are certain elements of story structure that vibe with the human psyche. This is just the way the human mind works. So in learning how to tell you know, the kinds of stories that we're going to primarily be talking about in this podcast, uh, it's important to learn how to speak the language of the human brain. <laughs> And, uh, and, and I think that your, your comparison of pop to jazz is a really good comparison because some of the greatest jazz is musicians riffing and just, you know, going off and just doing these masterful, you know, runs of just incredible music uh, that seem to defy everything. But the truth is those are musicians who have utterly and completely mastered their craft. It's true. Completely. And I look at people like Lars von Trier, and I look at people like uh, Terrence Malick, and I would say that these filmmakers are filmmakers that have such a deep, intrinsic understanding of what they're doing that they know when I put this image next to this image, and I um, uh, I use this kind of music with this image, I'm very aware of the uh, emotional tone that I'm setting within the context of my audience. And I think a lot of beginning filmmakers, you just can't know that until you've made lots and lots of films. Agreed. I want to bring up a type of external goal that you and I see a lot. And I I think, you know, some people in trying to meet the objectives of having an external goal you can take a picture of, uh, they often utilize external goals like this. This is a story about a guy trying to find his keys. (laughs) This is a story about a guy who really needs to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and technically, those are external <laughs> goals. Right. But why do those types of stories, uh, or, or what difficulties do those types of stories present? Yeah. We, we get these stories so often, John, that we actually call them the dude who lost his keys stories. We do. Yes. <laughs> and the reason that these kinds of stories don't work well is because you've got a character, first of all, going off after something that's, relatively simple and you know outside of some very specific situations and circumstances i have a tough time believing that my character over the course of an extended amount of story time really can't find a bathroom (laughs) really can't find his keys and i think part of the problem is especially in those kinds of situations it's very hard to weave in an antagonist into those kinds of stories and so what happens is the whole film becomes a joke Hmm. and it becomes a character well, trying to get to the bathroom in this situation, well, that didn't work. So I'm going to try a different way. And that didn't work. Yeah. Same thing with the keys. And so what happens... Same beat over and over. Yeah, exactly. It's, this, it's the same joke over and over and over again. And that's not a story. That's just a really bad, really bad bar joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in stories like that, I think the other um, problem is the stakes of the external goal. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I can find a bathroom and 20 minutes later or two hours later, I may need a bathroom again. Right. You know, this. the stakes are fairly low uh, for that sort of external goal. Now, granted, you know, in the, the guy trying to find his keys, maybe he's late to a job interview or something like that. But then I would suggest maybe that the stakes are not so much about finding the keys as much as the job interview. Absolutely, yeah. And so in that case, you know, if, if you're really telling a story where the character's external goal is to get to the job interview, then not finding his keys is going to be one beat 
in right. the story. Right. So that's going to be the first thing that happens, and then we never revisit the keys thing again. Uh, and then the next thing, you know, might be, you know, he misses the bus, or he's got to try to convince his friend to take him to work. You know, um, so then we can start weaving in different kinds of situations. In a job situation, very easy too to have another character that wants the same job and is going to try to keep this character from getting to the job. Um, so absolutely making sure that the external goal has stakes that resonate with us and are are high enough that if the character fails the goal, there's going to be some consequences. Um, you know, we mentioned it earlier, but earlier, but one of the, the tests that we tell our students to ask themselves with their films all the time is what happens if your character doesn't achieve their goal? And if life goes back to normal, then it's it's not a good goal. Yeah, I I think the uh, importance of that is often underestimated because we feel like as long as there is an external goal uh, that we're there and granted <laughs> without that, we're not there. So it is very, very important. But I think we we have to look at is this the sort of external goal that is going to lend itself to an audience tracking with this character through the journey? Um, is it going to hold my attention and interest? And, and perhaps uh, it's about the relatability of the goal, maybe not in real life, but the relatability even of the fantasy of the goal. I, I'm sorry to say, have, do not know what it's like to pursue the Ark of the Covenant and to have adventures like Indiana Jones. I'm sorry to say I don't know um, what that's like, but I do know what it's like to crave adventure. Mm -hmm. I do know what it's like to hunt for treasure, whether that's metaphoric or whether that's literal. And those are things I relate to. Those are things about that protagonist and his goal that I want in my life. Those are things I want to be. I want to be him um, because I have the same goal. And when I see how he goes about trying to accomplish that external goal, I can't help but start to examine in my own self, how am I going about accomplishing my goals in life? And therefore, therein to me lies the beauty in filmmaking and the beauty in story is that we can actually challenge people to look beyond um, the, the monotony of their day-to-day -day life and, and ask them, what is it in your life that you're pursuing? What is it that is going to make you feel accomplished? What is it once you, you feel like you've obtained that will bring meaning to you? And to me, that is that is huge. That is unbelievably large. And it's one of those human themes that all people relate to. No matter what culture, what country you come from, uh, that is a theme that you can relate to. And I, I do uh, want to hear your thoughts on the, the, the relatability of external goals, especially when it comes to the theme uh, of a film. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I actually want to hear you keep talking about that. <laughs> that's, that's some really good stuff. Cause I know John, you, you know, not to get off on another subject, but I know that you love to talk about wonder, Yeah. you know, and, and how relevant and necessary wonder is in life. And I know for me, whether I'm going to a movie theater or I'm going to sit around a campfire and listen to a story, or I'm going to watch the smallest drama, I still want to hear stories that sort of 
take me out of my normal every day. Yeah. Put me in some kind of situation that I've never experienced before, but still something I can relate to. And to be honest, the story about a guy trying to find his keys, I go through that every morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't really want to see a story about it. Um, so I, I want those those stories that that provoke in me some sense of wonder. It, and it may not be as large as Frodo trying to destroy a ring or Indiana Jones trying to find the Ark of the Covenant, but it may be something just as small as, you know what, maybe there's something out there in life that's just a little bit more than what I experience on an everyday everyday level. Yeah, I mean, some of my favorite types of films are where the character's external goal reveals a type of wonder in life that has been hidden, but that has been there all along. Mm, yeah, I, I love finding wonder in the the everyday, and I think that that is one of the most powerful types of films is revealing, you know, um, beauty or or truth or wonder in something that we experience all the time or that we we see every day. So you know, for me. Um, as much as I love action adventure, you know, type films, and I love the stories of Indiana Jones, I also deeply love stories about uncovering the wonder in everyday life. Hmm. And I believe, um, especially, you know, if, if you're someone who um, says, well, I just would never feel comfortable writing an adventure story, you know, of a, a character unleashing uh uh, wonder or uncovering wonder, you know, somehow um, all of us, no matter who we are, seek out uh, wonder in in our daily lives. And, um, you know, I, I, when I talk about this, sometimes I give this example and this is a silly example, but have you ever rearranged your room or your office and it feels new, it feels different. And like the first four or five times you walk in there, you've kind of forgot you rearranged and it kind of shocks you for just a minute. You're like, oh, am I in the right place? Have I been here before? And I love, love, love that feeling. For me, it's just that little, little touch of wonder that, wow, the familiar has suddenly been turned upside down. Hmm. And what I am used to seeing in this room is different. It's changed. And those moments in a story are the ones that I believe captivate people. They, they enchant people. They draw them in. And I'm talking about a kid rearranging his room. I'm not talking about digging you know, for buried treasure. Yeah. So if, if me rearranging the furniture and moving the bed to the other side of the room can evoke that in me as a, as a child, I, I have a tough time believing that we can't find wonder even in the most mundane of circumstances. Yeah. You know, I, a type of story that resonates with me greatly, John, and and um, I, I would love to tell a story like this, but it's it's and we've had students pitch a few stories like this. But the story about that person who has to do that one tiny, simple little thing before they die. Yeah. And there's something about that that resonates deeply with me. It can be the simplest of external goals. I just want to go back to my old house. Yeah. And that's the external goal of the entire film. That's what's moving it forward. But the meaning and the resonance behind it is just so much deeper. There's wonder yeah. in that. Yeah, there's absolutely wonder in that. I um I once wrote a short film that was about a woman who uh, found out she had cancer and was trying to uh, give away her dog before she mm. died. 
And the whole story was about her interviewing these different types of people and, and calling people on the phone. And, and basically, again, that's her external goal is to give away her dog before she dies, but to find the right person who would take mm-hmm. care of the dog. And, and throughout the course of that story, um, it, it's the discovery and the wonder of life mm-hmm. that people are good and that life is worth living. And she decides at the end to keep the dog until wow. she dies because um, she recognizes that in the life she has left, it's not about giving away the life that she uh, has right in front of her, but enjoying that and holding on to that for every possible minute in the wonder that she finds just in, in holding on to the dog. Yeah. Now, not all stories of wonder are that sad sure, or yeah, that, yeah. that profound, but but still, um, you know that's a that's a very realistic situation. That's a everyday life type situation. Well, and I think that um, you know when I look at my own life, and I I feel that so oftentimes the uh, the wonder that I experience in life has to do with a lot of the internal battles that I've fought, you know, the things that I had to overcome. Um, and in that process, you know, like we said earlier, I, I, you know, learned something about myself. I became a better person, maybe through a very simple thing that I had to do, but I grew through the process. And I think that I think that a lot of times storytellers, they actually do come to the table with a sense of wonder, with a theme, with something they really want to say. Um, but then how do you take that and you turn it into a story? And that's kind of how we started the podcast, you know, just this idea of how do I take a theme and find it? And, uh, and I think that those senses of wonder can be found in, you know, what are the, the personal journeys and battles that you've had to, you've had to fight to find the answer. Um, it wasn't an answer that was given to you. It wasn't an answer that you learned in church or school or something like that. It was an answer of truth that you had to discover on your own. There's deep wonder in that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up today. Um, external goals. So important. You understand those. So important. Uh, you're able to execute those. Without them, your story falls apart. You feel good? I feel great. Yeah. So go out and find those photographable moments for your main characters. All right. For the Inside Out Podcast, this is John Booker and Jeremy Casper. Thanks a lot. For more information on the story, the host of the show, upcoming speaking engagements and seminars, visit our website at theinsideoutstory.com. The Inside Out Story podcast is a production of Sideshow Media Group.